Okay. We are back. Isaac's drinking another Spindrift. Ain't nothing changed, man. Nothing has changed. Nothing's changed this week. We won't talk about it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. So good to see all of you. We got a bunch of our regulars in the house already. I can see. Good to see you guys and hear from you. Um, Isaac, you've had an uneventful month off. Anything of consequence occur? Uh, yeah. Uh, I had, we had our fourth child, which I told people on Christmas Eve that four changes the dynamic. It, it, it really went from like, we got three kids to like chaos. It's chaos. There's a different energy in that house. Yeah, there's some cheers. Oh, is that applause for your child? That's cool. Yeah, hey, Kevin, ain't can nothing I get a changed. More Kevin's still mic, 10 seconds too late on it. That's okay. Hey, Kevin, you want to check in with the people? Let's let's get Kevin on the video. We got the man behind. No, we're good. No, he doesn't want to check in. Okay. He didn't do his makeup today. That's fine. Now, um, we were gone for a month. And it was a nice break, but we're excited to be back talking theology with you guys. Um, Isaac, by the way, just, you know, so people know the, the level of care he puts into this kind of stuff and how important it is to him. Just talked about the fact that it's pure chaos at home, but here you are. So thank yeah, you for being yeah. here. From what yeah. I heard, though, from people who, who have four or more kids, um, it's not like it's pure chaos right now. It'll be perpetual oh, I for see. at least like 15, 20, 20 years. So. <laughs> That's that's what I've heard. Even yeah. even people I I had a uh people come up and be like, "Bro, we got 12 kids or we got 8 kids, we got 7." It's like, "Yeah, when you hit 4, dude, something <laughs> really bad happens." I was like, "Okay, cool." Yeah, I've got two and one's a baby, and every time I feel like, "Man, this is crazy." I just go, "You know what?" Yeah. Isaac's and Isaac and Michelle are at home with four right now. Four loading lo- lo- Put the camera on me, Kevin. <laughs> loading Four kids up in four car seats because my kids are kind of like back to back. If one of them has to go to the bathroom anytime in that 20 minute process of loading them all up, it starts the cycle all over again. So it's, it's, uh, you know, sometimes you could roll up two hours late and the party's already over. <laughs> that would be kind of ideal for you, I think, though. No, yeah, for me, like, oh, sorry, we're just running late, gotta go home. Hey, if, if folks in the comments could let us know, I just got a text saying there's some problems for some people with the video. If you can see video and hear us right now, throw it in the comments that everything's all good on your end. Um, that way Kevin will know if he needs to, to fix things or not. It looks like it's fine to us. So let us know in the comments if we got any problems. So um, I want to start this new series with a quote, famous quote. Um, hold on a second. Checking in with my, my tech supervisor here. What are they saying? They're saying that there's no video, but so far, everybody else seems okay. Yeah, we got some comments coming in saying everything's good. So if you're having video problems, it might be on it's your on end. It's on your end, man. That's true. Chris Grimes says video is perfect. Not okay. just that it's good, but that it's perfect. That's great. Which is a theological category, by the way. That's great. We'll be talking about that. Thank, Thank you. Thank yeah. you, chat, for filling us in. Thanks Everyone's for the feedback. So, okay. Let's throw this quote up, Kevin. Famous quote from the one and only Clive Aslan Staples. of Narnia. Well, sort of. The creator of Aslan, Aslan which of, feels yeah. like blasphemy to say, actually. The Aslan of Narnia said. C.S. Lewis said, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. Now, he means demons when he says that, by the way, about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So first of all, how does it feel to know in your whole life you'll never write a single sentence as good as that one, which is from the introduction to one of his books? Yeah, but when you read C.S. Lewis, it's pretty <laughs> depressing because you're like, that paragraph is the type of paragraph that fills these 150 pages, and I could spend a month, a month trying to perfect a paragraph like that, and I'll never. Yeah, it'll never happen. And, and I wanted to start with that because we're going to talk about, as the series title says, angels and demons in the spirit world. Mm-hmm. And I just know that this is an area that is rife with obsession. It's like kind of, it's a perfect setup for people to either, as C.S. Lewis says, disregard it and be kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, functionally a modernist materialist and say, whatever you believe, you act like there's no spirit world. Or, and this is the danger when we start talking about it, um, and the thing I want to guard against at the outset, it can become an obsession. All you care about is thinking about angels and demons and what's happening spiritually all the time. And it, it can become really kind of like magical and woo-woo really fast. Yeah, and there's a, 
there's a temptation always for human beings to have secret knowledge. This is this is the way the way God, the nature of gossip is. This is that. Um, oh, dude, I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you this. I got, I got, I got. I really shouldn't, but and and it's like you you are holding something that only you know, yeah. and then telling someone else that there's like there's like a, a a drug in that almost, and so it happens oftentimes with spiritual warfare stuff is you kind of get into it and you can get into some kooky stuff where it's all like, well, you've never been taught the real thing. And, and this is how you really do spiritual warfare. And this is the real secret. This is, and then it becomes like an addiction because you, you have the secret knowledge that no one else has. Right. Um, And that's been a temptation we've talked about on the show, going back 2000 years ago to Gnosticism and it goes um, all the way to today. Yeah, and frankly, we kind of want to do the opposite of that, which is demystify. A lot of this, frankly, is probably going to sound fantastical to a lot of people listening, even if they've been Christians their whole lives, because yes. it's way weirder than the kind of standard way of thinking about it. But all we're trying to do is talk about it the way the Bible talks about it. Yes. That's all we're going to try to do. So there's no like sensationalism or like getting crazy and weird on purpose. We're just going to try to use biblical categories um, and get ourselves thinking differently. So let's start there. If you grew up like I did as a Christian or you became a Christian in high school Mm -hmm. um, and you just kind of like adopt a standard evangelical view of spiritual beings in the spiritual world, how would you kind of describe that? Yeah, and my my experience is similar to yours in that I I mean, I I grew up in the church and um, I, I wasn't ever like I was completely divorced from the church. But in my high school years, I got serious about it. I got really serious about my faith, but I was still informed probably in a similar way. And with that, you kind of just inherit a view of the spiritual realm that there's, there's God and then there's the devil and God's got some dudes on his side and the devil's got dudes on his sides and there's angels and demons. And if you infuse that with kind of secular understanding, then angels are like, they're, they're protecting you. Yeah. They're watching over angels. you. And the demons then are the inverse of that, the opposite. And they're, they're going to tempt you and torment you. And then especially what's, what's very powerful is the, I mean, you don't realize how powerful cartoon imagery is, but in the cartoon world, if, if the bad cat who wants to eat the bird, um, Sylvester Sylvester wants to eat the little Tweety bird, he, and something falls on his head and he dies and he goes up to be a little spirit. He then goes to hell and in hell there's demons there ready to torture him. Dogs, which is already how you know it's flawed, because if anything's demonic, it should <laughs> cats and dogs reverse. But the point is, is you inherit this view that like demons run hell, right? And they torture people in hell, and sometimes they come up to earth to tempt people so that they can eventually get them to go to hell, where they can continue right. with the torture. But it's like a very simple and kind of dualistic view. There's like there's the the white shirt. Jesus. angels and jesus it, it, and yeah they're and in white white and white linen cloths in the in the clouds and oftentimes it's so dualistic it's it's so binary that um jesus and satan are seen as equal and opposite powers there's yes. that there's that one image where they're arm wrestling oh yeah we should have found that one yeah. i know what you're talking about where it's like like a big buff devil with red horns and stuff yeah. arm wrestling jesus and so yeah they you see them as equal and opposite powers and then this very and this is the kind of the biggest misunderstanding we're going to unpack today i think is that other than God and Satan, who are kind of at the top of their two respective tiers, everything else is a one very simple type of being. There's it's demons, yeah. which are just bad versions of angels, a very flat, simple kind of taxonomy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I would say the only variation, and some of you will probably relate to this, hey, what up, obs- obsessive gardener? We're still going to try to make it happen where this guy feeds us spicy peppers, by the way. Those demon peppers have... have- have no power over God's anointed. That's true. Well, we'll have to prove it on video once we're back in yeah, gardening we'll see season. see if you are God's anointed, Sam, if you have <laughs> any pastoral anointing. I ain't touching it. We have a video where we ate spicy peppers already, actually. You can uh, you can find that on our YouTube. But yeah, so the, the one kind of variation on this is um, some streams of Christianity in the West in particular, and no, that's not actually true. This is actually equally big, if not bigger, in, in the developing world. Um has a kind of heightened expectation of spiritual activity. So mm. there's still just the angels, demons, God, Satan thing, but you kind of are looking for demons around every corner. I mean, I remember one th- story that always comes to mind. Um, we were both in local bands in college-ish mm-hmm. time frame, and I remember being at a show that you played at where an amplifier broke, and the pastor of the church that the show was at 
went to cast a demon out of the amplifier. Yeah. Do you remember that? You remember that? Yeah. There was like the devil's trying to stop the gospel from being proclaimed. And what he did was destroy the speaker. Yeah. And if we get the demon out of the speaker, then the show can go on. Yeah. Which I'm not saying that that's impossible. I think it's probably pretty unlikely. So again, our goal is to leave behind some preconceptions and just look at what the Bible says. And what you're going to find, and this is where we're going to start, is that it's not as simple as God and angels, Satan and demons, yeah. and those are the only types of beings the Bible talks about. It's a little about. bit more weird. A little bit weirder. A lot weirder, actually. So let's, let's just look at a Bible verse to start things off here. Um, this is very famous. Probably don't even need to pull it up, but I will because I can. Exodus 20, at the beginning of the Ten Commandments. And a, and a quick preface yeah. is the modern person is tempted to remove the weirdness from the Bible. Yeah. Because the modern person has been so saturated in modernity that we're often embarrassed by the weirdness of the Bible. But if you let the Bible speak in its own terms, speak in its own categories, and see what's up with the weirdness, you're going to come to much better conclusions that are biblically right. consistent. Yeah, that's true. That's great. Yeah, great point. And we are we are not people who try to smooth it out, as you'll see right now. So at the ver very famously, many of you have already heard this, at the very beginning of the Bible, or of the Ten Commandments, rather, God starts by saying this, I am the Lord your God. Um, Real quick, this is this is going to be important later. When you see Lord in the Bible in the Old Testament with all capitals, L-O-R-D, that's translating the Hebrew God's personal name, Yahweh. So it's not the word Lord. That's the way we translate um, his name, Yahweh. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, right off the bat, that word God, when he says, I am Yahweh, your God, and this word gods, you shall have no other gods before me, are the same word. Mm -hmm. So he says, what he says is not, this is kind of just to change the way you've probably thought about this verse. He does not say, I am Yahweh, the only God. There are no other gods besides mm -hmm. me. What he says is, I am Yahweh, your God, and you shall have no other gods before me. So the question we want to explore tonight is, who are these guys? Who are these other gods yeah, we're and, talking and about? In the, again, in the modern world, if you grew up in the church, th those are instantly equated with things like, well, what, what are the other gods that I should not have before the Lord? Money. Right. Um, relationships. Rock and roll, drugs, sex, whatever it may be, fill in the blank. But immediately, you, you transfer the ancient text to the modern world and say, you shouldn't love other things more than you right. do God, which is true, but for the people originally reading this in Egypt, there was a bunch of other gods that the Egyptian worshipped that the Israelites were always tempted to being worshipped, and right. they struggled with for the rest of biblical history. And they had spent 400 years being at least tempted by, if not succumbing to, and other parts of the Old Testament make it yeah. pretty clear, most of them did, in fact, worship Egyptian gods, and were weeks or months after that yeah. now. And the reason why you know it's specific... Uh, it, there's that at least in the book author's mind is in Exodus 12. The text says that the reason God is doing what he's doing with the plagues and the climax with the death of the firstborn, it says, so that I may execute judgment on the gods, gods the of Elohim Egypt. of Egypt. Yeah. Huge. Now let's look at one more and then we'll talk about that word Elohim because a very kind of straightforward answer. And the one I probably would have given for most of my life as a Christian is Either, well, the Israelites thought there were other gods, but there weren't. Mm -hmm. These are just false beliefs they had. Um, or the point God's making isn't that there are actually any other gods, but just that you should only worship him. And this is just kind of like a rhetorical way of saying that. Yeah, maybe you could you could relate it to, and and, and we'll preface this like, we could be wrong totally. on our interpretation. We're not, but we but could as, be. But as we walk <laughs> through it, we want to expose you to, biblical verses that are just like thrown out the window. It's like, you're never yeah. like, well, what does that mean? Oh, that's kind of confusing. Like, no, what does the Bible say? We believe the Bible is God's word. We want to know what it's trying to communicate. So oftentimes people, and this is certainly an interpretation, people would say, it's sort of like if you're working with children and you tell them, uh, and you're a family that celebrates 
Christmas throwback episode and you, you play along with the Santa Claus thing, you just tell your child, make sure to love Jesus more than you do Santa Claus. Right. Now, as the parent, you know Santa Claus isn't real, but your child thinks Santa Claus is real, but you don't want Santa Claus to become idolatrous. So just love Jesus a little bit more. And so whether that's right or wrong, you can go watch our episode on that. That's analogous to one interpretation I would say is Israel, the Israelites believed in multiple gods. And so before God can just break the news that there's nothing else in existence, he's accommodating their worldview right. and making sure that they first just learn to love him alone. And then, you know, 500,000 years, 500,000 years later, you get to Isaiah and then he lets them know. There's no yeah. other gods but me. And we'll get to those verses too. And that's a totally legitimate interpretation. And the one that I f- would have said, I that's the one I would have probably said was mine until yeah. four or five years ago when I started looking at this stuff differently. But let's look at another one of those verses that makes it pretty hard to, to say that. All right, you want to jump over, show my screen again here, Kev? This is Psalm 82.1. Yeah, this one's weird. Buckle up. Buckle God, up, everybody. God... Elohim in Hebrew, which it's time for us to talk about that after this probably. God has taken his place in the divine council. We'll table that for later. We're going to talk about the divine council. But for That's now, let's, weird. let's focus on God. Weird. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. And then it goes on and on. It's very interesting. Um, it would probably be worth reading the whole thing, but for the sake of time, we won't. Um, now, he does say, and this is important, down here in verse 6, I said, you are... Gods, Elohim, sons of the Most High, sons of El Elyon, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. So, okay, here's the question. Who is God sitting in the midst of? And this is where I think an important thing to unpack is this word Elohim and what and how it works and what it means. Um, because it is true that all over the Old Testament, God is called Elohim, mm-hmm. but that's a word that's technically plural, correct? Mm-hmm. In Hebrew, if you have an I am yeah. at the end of a word, that's plural. So you don't say Elohis, you say Elohim. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it can be used to describe God, but here it says Elohim takes his place in the divine council. He sits among the Elohim, right? Yeah. So what's happening here? Well, okay. So one, when we use the word Elohim, we're talking about a category of being, but that word can also be used to describe... Um, the person who sits atop of that category. So let me say it like this. Um, you can have a group of men in a room, but there's a leader and you could say, Hey, all the men know who the man is, right? All the men know who the man is. Yeah. Sam Whitaker. Um, it's not Sam. Uh, <laughs> or in, in Spanish, um, senor could mean yeah. man or dude, but also the senora de senores is God. Yeah, it's it, that's man. Once again, Spanish proves to actually be better. Oh, so much we, better. Yeah, I was talking about this with um, terms. I was talking about this with a bilingual person in the church when I was trying to explain uh, what it means when Jesus calls says Talitha Kumai to that girl and calls yeah. her a little lamb. Yeah, and I was like, it's more what it's like is calling someone mihat. Yeah, and we don't have an English equivalent. But Señor is a perfect term because that's a just a respectful way to address any adult man in Spanish. Yes. But in worship songs, it's also straight up how they say yeah. Lord in Spanish. So Elohim means and can be translated as God, referring to the Lord God, capital the God G, of Israel, God. capital G. But oftentimes, it's just being used to refer to other people in the category of spiritual being. Yes. Um, and it, it could be morally neutral. It's just like like a man could be a bad man or a good man. But Elohim, um, and the reason why it's so difficult in for us in the modern world to, to wrestle with this is the vast majority of time, it's translated God's lowercase g, um, just like it was here. So yeah. you have God capital case g, and that's the translators letting you know, we think this is talking about yeah. the God of gods, the, the king of kings, the, the top of the hierarchy. But then... We want you to know that these other things are lowercase gods. But in English, whether you capitalize it or lowercase it, God is a very yeah. distinct. This is the hardest thing to understand about what we're going to try to get across tonight is that God is what our God is. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so that's a you, hard category to grasp. Sam is a man. Thank you. His name is Sam. 
in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the God of Israel, what he is Elohim. is Elohim. That's a what question. Who he is, his name is Yahweh. Right. And so there's a what category and then like a who personal category. Yeah, and, you, and there's a lot of that. I mean, you're, again, you're a man, you're a father, you're a brother. These are all yeah. different categories of what you are. Yes. But who you are is Isaac Serrano. Yeah. That's very different. And so God, that's why that lower, that all capital Lord is so important. Because this is identifying a person, not just a type of being. And what happened because of a number of reasons, translations, modernity, etc. We have God in English. And if it's God with the capital G, that's the God who we believe in. And anything lowercase g, well, that's a false God that doesn't exist. Right. Because there are no other gods. Gods with a capital G. With a capital G. So anything with a lower G is a non-existent false God. God. Right. And those categories are not necessarily the categories the scripture use. When they talk about their being Elohims, they are talking about spiritual beings that are out there. That exist. That are and, real. And this is a, we're, we're kind of beating it to death because this is really important and really hard. It was really hard for me because the, again, like you said, but you said it quickly, just so people get this. When you see a lowercase g God or an uppercase g God in your Bible, those are interpretive decisions that the translators made. Those are not, those capital letters are not in the Bible. Um, in, the, in, Bible in the Bible, I mean, they're not in the Hebrew. Um, and, and I would say 99.9% .9 of the time, great decisions. So it's not, I'm not disparaging them. I'm just saying. Yeah, translators do a great job. And they're helping us because of the fact that our word God in English doesn't mean the same thing as the word Elohim in Hebrew. Mm. Built into the word God in English is the idea that there's only one of that being. And obviously, as, a, as Christians, in a sense, we believe that. There's only one God like our God. Yes. But a Hebrew-speaking Jew would not say there's only one Elohim. Well, okay, just like I joked around earlier, I said, uh, those peppers won't do any damage to God's anointed. Right. And I immediately clarified to question your pastoral anointing. Right. In the scriptures... <laughs> I think that was pretty clear, but yeah, in the scriptures, multiple people can have the anointing, but there's only one with the anointing. Right. And it, it, Jesus is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He's in the category of people who are anointed in scripture, but he is singled out as dude. Yeah. That's the real. And, and just likewise, Elohim, there are Elohims out there, but also you need to know there is the man. Right. The Elohim. Yeah. And that's and another interesting example, not to get ahead of what we're going to talk about next week, but the Bible uses the term um, Satan, Satan, all the time to, not all the time, but in several places to describe beings that are not the Satan. Mm -hmm. So there will be, because Satan just means accuser, advers mm -hmm. adversary, opposer. And so there are times when the angel of the Lord is sent as a Satan in Hebrew. Yeah. With the Balaam, right? Yeah. Balaam, he... The, the angel is the accuser. He's a accuser. A accuser. And that's the difference, right? That's the category, but yes. he's not capital T, the capital A accuser, the way we would do it in English. Yeah. So here's, just to be crystal clear, we are not saying that there are a bunch of gods in the sense of what you have always meant by the word God as a Christian. We're saying that the category, the type of being that God is, a spiritual being, um, there are many other beings clearly in the Bible that would fit that category. And it's not just as simple as they're all angels. Yeah, And the reason it's not just like, okay, this is what the Hebrew actually says is you, the language that we use of capital G God and lowercase G God can be misleading and throw you off from the categories the Bible is using. And our goal would be, what are the categories? What is the language of the Bible? And will that help us better interpret other really, really difficult passages? And then more importantly, is what does it tell us about the world around us? Right. Is it just little red demons with horns and pitchforks waiting to torture you in hell? Or are there spiritual beings, at least in that Psalm passage, yeah. that were given... It's, it seems as if they were rulers granted authority and they've abused their authority in the spiritual realm. And God is saying like, I mean, it's a pretty epic passage. He's like, although you were meant to do this, you now you're going to die like a man. Yeah. It's awesome.
Let's look at some more, actually. Speaking of which, let's jump to Psalm 8, because this is another interesting one that everyone has probably heard if you've been a Christian a long time. Um, It's a beautiful, beautiful psalm. It says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him. And by the way, this is so funny, um, because again, the translators are trying to help you interpret here. It says, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor, et cetera, et cetera. Guess what word heavenly beings is? Elohim. So what it actually says is you have made him a little lower than the lowercase g gods. If you were translating it the same way you translate Elohim most of the other time um, in the Hebrew Bible. And again, lowercase g gods is not necessarily a bad translation. But what comes to you conceptually in English may lead you down a wrong path in interpretation. Totally. How about this one? Let's jump back over to the text, Kev. This is in Deuteronomy. It's part of Moses' song that God commands him to sing. He says, they, talking about Israel, stirred him, talking about God, they stirred him to jealousy with strange Elohim. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. This gets really weird. They sacrificed to demons that were no Elohim, to Elohim they had never known to new Elohim that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. So this is, there's a bit of a tangled knot going on here as far as are they, you know, are they gods or not? And it's clearly meant to kind of take those beings down a peg. But part of the indictment against Israel here is that they're making sacrifices to these strange other spiritual beings. So put, could you put that back up? That's the Deuteronomy. 32. Okay. So it's, yeah. So, we, do we want to look at, you're going to look at the Hebrew of this a little bit because it's kind of weird. Yeah, so it's, they stirred him to jealousy with shades. That's what, de- that, I believe that's the word demons. So they sacrificed to shades that were no Elohim. Yeah, shades is is a borrowed word from Ac- the Akkadian language. It only appears two, two times, this and in a Psalms passage. Um, and it's, in the other culture, it's like a, a protective spirit or a a spirit that likes to receive worship but shouldn't be. It's really interesting because it's like, huh, a spirit, a a spiritual being that wants to receive worship. It wants to act shouldn't. like a god. Yeah. And then what happens, and this gets to our, our category mistakes, our problems, is that in the Septuagint, that word is translated demonion which is the Greek word for demon. Which is why our English translations say demon. So by the time we get to demon, it's just like, oh, these are one of those those creatures that we encounter in the New Testament. Right, not the same thing. And maybe it's possible, but it's it's much more broad than that in in the Hebrew scriptures. It's it's a spirit who who is receiving worship that probably shouldn't be. Uh, By the way, the the Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures. Yeah, and it's highly influential upon upon translation. But again, it's just conceptually. When you think of demon, your mind thought of something. Right. When the text is just saying, dude, there was some spirit thing out there in the wilderness that should not have been receiving worship, but did. Yeah. And Um, that's who you made sacrifices to. That's who you made Um, sacrifices to. And the Bible is comfortable calling those things strange new Elohim, spiritual beings. Um, and so this, what, what you're hopefully starting to get a picture of is a spirit world that is populated by a, some sort of diverse set of beings that we, you know, we don't know a whole lot about them because the Bible's not yeah. about them. It's about humanity. Um, that's why it's not good to obsess yeah. over that. At minimum, there's angels, demons, seraphim, cherubim, cherubim um, archangels, angels and we're gonna I mean, we can probably touch on this if we get time later uh some type of princes yeah. angels that rule over territories sons of elohim they're There's, called a lot of the time yeah and uh, yeah we're, so it's important to note it's not just this flatten god the devil and their arm wrestling. First off, that's already bad because God's right. omnipotent. Satan is finite. It's not like there's an equal dueling yeah. match between these two. That's not going to be a long arm wrestling match. Yeah, but underneath that, there's these mysterious categories, but the way the Bible refers to any and all of them is spiritual being Elohim. But just again, to clarify, Elohim can also mean the Elohim, as in God of God. 
Yeah, and that, and the Bible's going to make that really clear. I mean, it's really interesting. Um, oh, here, one more that su- before we move on, because this one is super interesting and kind of takes it a different direction. This is Psalm 97.7. It says, All worshipers of images, meaning idols, are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you Elohim. And it's... It, this is kind of a rabbit trail potentially, but the Septuagint, which again, as Isaac just said, is the a later Greek translation of the Old Testament that's really influential on our translations, um, says angels there. Worship him, all you angels. And a lot of the time, the Septuagint will su- supply angels where Elohim is. Yeah. Um, and again, that's an interpretive decision because they're, they're, it's not like a evil, cons- they're, they're trying to mess right. the Bible. No, they're going, this word is Elohim, but... People in this language, when they hear Elohim, are going to hear something that this Bible verse is tr- not trying to right. communicate. You don't want to put theos in Greek for that. Yeah, so what do we do? Well, let's let's use this this word, angels, to try to simplify what we think this is communicating. Yeah. But then when there's not consistency across the board, uh, that leads to, to problems. And the ESV is great here. It says, worship him, all you gods. But here's the thing. Have you as a Christian ever read that verse and you just kind of blow right past the fact that the psalmist is calling upon lower spiritual beings to worship God? That's what the psalm is saying. And, and again, that's where it proves helpful because like the psalmist is saying all these other spiritual beings, they need to worship God too, where before you're going like, well, gods, what's, yeah, what's, what's, you know, and similarly, if it said angels, you'd be like, well, of course, all the angels worship him because yeah, those are the ones why does on he have his to team. say that. Yeah, exactly. But if it includes all of these other beings that we're going to continue kind of looking at what they might be, that's I mean, that's a powerful statement all of a sudden for him as a human to be saying all spiritual mm-hmm. beings. So the chat's been real quiet. Everybody OK? I know we're, we're potentially saying stuff that's making you guys go, hold on a second. Can I still trust these guys? Yeah, <laughs> that was good, Kevin. Kevin, that you found it on time. the first. Did you label them tonight, Kevin? Man, good job. He gave me a thumbs up. He doesn't want to talk good on the job. mic today. I don't know why, but it's okay. So we got it's shy, Kevin, right. today. Um, so yeah, if you have questions, of course, throw them in there. If you say, "I'm doing my best, you guys," but you're freaking me out, we're happy to hear that too. Um, but let's keep cruising because we blew past something earlier that is really significant. A significant image in the Old Testament, and that's the divine council. Remember in Psalm 82, it said he takes his seat among the divine council. So what is that council? Let's take a look at another famous passage where we meet that council. This is in the book of Job. Um, Before Job gets all messed up by the Satan, we'll talk, we'll, you know, we'll be back in this passage next week when we talk about Satan. Um, But verse six of Job one says, now there was a day when the sons of God, in Hebrew, that's Bene Elohim, yeah. sons of God, came to present present themselves before Yahweh. And the Satan also came among them. And so it goes on and they kind of have a discussion, right? Mm. Um, there's another section in First Kings where something really similar happens where the prophet Micaiah talks about yeah. having seen God in, you know, among the same kind of council. Yeah. So this is an image that would have resonated for ancient Near Eastern people, yeah. right? They wouldn't have had a question about this. No, there's there's a there's a uh, a deity, and he has a council around him. Um, and what's I mean, the the Job passage is so so um, category breaking because like sometimes Christians will say God can't be in the be in the presence of evil. Yeah, dude. The, the, devil, the devil just rolled up, no problem. He walks in like he belongs there. And and he God presents, goes, what you been up to? Yeah, and I, you know, I've been doing this. It's like, whoa, what, what's, what's going on here? And it's similar to that passage in Psalms, and it's the image of God, who is King of kings, Lord of lords, Elohim of Elohims, the only being like, he's the only spiritual being like him. There's nothing else like him. But he also has delegated authority to these other spiritual beings. Now, first everyone goes, well, God has got, why does God have, why would God ever delegate authority? That seems like bad theology doesn't make sense. And this shows you how bad our categories are because what does the Bible begin with? Yeah. It's God creates a physical realm and then delegates authority to his image bearers. Yeah. And his image bearers are to exercise dominion and subdue all of creation. And is that because God can't control creation on his own? Yeah, exactly. No, it's because he wants to co-rule with humanity. God That's is the whole sh- story. God is sharing that. And the goal 
in the garden and now for the Christian is to reflect the wise rule and reign of God in heaven as it is on earth. So the image that Psalms gives and the book of Job gives is that there is some type of mirroring of that in the spiritual realm. There is spiritual beings that have some type of, and this is where it's discouraging, is it doesn't tell you exactly how right. that works. It just tells you that these spiritual beings have a role. They have a job description and they're sent on missions and they're to do stuff. And some of these people, like the human counterparts, don't always obey. Right. Yeah. And that's a teaser for next week when we'll talk about the Satan and the and demons and what yeah. where do they come from and what are they up to, basically. But for now, that's that's the key is going, it's not a weird image. Um, and it frankly fits exactly with the character of God as revealed in scripture, that he would be, he has his family on earth humanity who he yeah. desires to rule with, they rebel. Similarly, in the spirit world, God has surrounded himself with a council, not because he needs their help, but because this is in the nature of God to co-rule with his creation. Yeah, there's no reason why God needs Adam to name the animals. Right. That There's no reason God can do that. God can do anything instantaneously. His It's like, we, we got that, but for whatever reason... God has chosen, and I, we, I, I believe there's reasons, good reasons for this. He has chosen to do this, and he has granted the ability to earthly beings and spiritual beings to obey and disobey right. as well. Yeah, and so again, another sort of teaser for next week that we'll probably unpack in greater detail is you have, again, these bene Elohim, these sons of God, who are part of God's divine counsel in Job. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Genesis 6, they absolutely disobey God by having some sort of a intimate relationship with yeah. human women that results in the birth of these Nephilim giant kind of yeah. Superman type characters that, that become gigantic problems. And yeah. so you, you have in some sense, um, and again, you, we don't want to get all speculative because the Bible just doesn't tell us very much about mm-hmm. this, but there appears to be a hierarchy of beings that there's angels, which that's just a, a Greek word that means messenger. Mm-hmm. who are spiritual beings who do God's will. But there's also this divine counsel. I mean, the, sto- the other story where they're really prominent is, like I said, it's in 1 Kings 22. And just, it's too long to read, but just to, to summarize it, you actually name your son after this prophet. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really weird story, though. It's so cool, though. It, it, it's like, <laughs> if, if what we're saying so far is weird, this one is even more weird. Yeah. Because it appears as if, a spiritual being who we don't know if it's good or bad. Yeah, it doesn't. It's, it's not just, clear. It's just it's and they're like, God, let me go, let me go send down some lying. Yeah, li- like a spirit of lying yeah. upon these people. So, so there's a there's a couple kings who are going to go to war. Stop me if I say anything incorrect here. You named your son after one of these characters. So you should know this story better than me, probably. Yeah, but there's four of them now, so I don't remember <laughs> anything. So, so there's two kings who are getting ready to go to war. Israel and Judah have made an alliance. And the kind of bad king is going, hey, okay, um, you know, we're ready to go. All my prophets, who are all false prophets, by the way, are saying we're all good. We can totally go. The king of Judah says, can we get a Yahweh prophet in here yeah. to, to, to tell us? And so this guy, Micaiah, who your son is named yeah. after, comes in. For this reason right here. This is why, and this go is why. It. Yeah, it's good. And so, so the, the king Ahab, the bad king, has this awesome line where he's like, we got one Yahweh prophet, but he never tells me anything I like to hear. Like, he's always giving me bad news. And uh, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, is like, oh, come on, don't say that. It's, it's all good. And Micaiah comes in, and the first thing he says is sarcastic, right? He yeah, goes, it's awesome. He goes, hey, God's with you. Go ahead, go to war. And Ahab, it doesn't even say that he said it sarcastically, but Ahab goes, see, I told you, this guy's yeah. always talking yeah. to So you can tell he's you sarcastic. You just picture him like, oh, go to go war. Ahead. You're, you're going to crush him, man. <laughs> the Lord loves you. You're so special. I love that story. And so he goes, what really happened? And he goes, you know, he basically says, it's going to go bad. You're going to lose. And all the other prophets go, okay, well, then where did we get our information from? And Micaiah goes, check this. This is all in First Kings 22 if you want the not Sam abridged yeah. paraphrase version. But he says, I saw God and his divine counsel saying, how should we mess up these kingdoms today? Mm-hmm. And a spirit came forward and said, I've got an idea. And God's like, let's hear your idea. And he says, I'm, I'll go lie to these prophets and tell them to tell Ahab that everything's going to go well. And then they'll go to war and they'll get destroyed. And God's like, cool, let's do that. And mm-hmm. That's basically what yeah. happens. 
Now that there, there are so many issues with that that we don't yeah. have time to talk about. Um, but again, that's a weird passage that messes with our categories. But our job as Christians is not to tell the Bible what it should say. Right. Our job as Christians is to let the Bible inform us. And we don't know. I mean, we don't know exactly how that runs out. We don't know if it's a, a good spirit, a bad spirit. Like the, the word bad doesn't have to have a moral right. sense. Sometimes it could just mean this was this was harmful. Yeah. Um, and so More, the word a word like disastrous. Yes. Right. And said rather than evil. Exactly. Exactly. So but the major point is in that story, you have a spiritual being who's like, I got an idea, God, and God hears it and allows it. Right. And, and again, because we're honest about what the Bible says here, if you have issues with God allowing evil spiritual beings to do bad things, um, there's a lot, not a lot, but there are a few stories in the old Testament that will absolutely rock your world. I mean, one of the most famous kind of like Sunday school friendly stories ever is David and King Saul. Mm -hmm. And there is this tormenting spirit from God. Yeah. That comes to mess with Saul as well. And so God is sovereign over everyone, including his enemies. But there's a spiritual world that's populated with the good and the bad. And, and, and that that's it's the same issue with translation comes up. And we uh, just to reiterate this is let's say uh, uh, your English translation says an evil spirit comes to to torment somebody that can make it. That sounds like something versus. Um, a spirit came upon someone to inflict physical pain. Right. That's a different, and can God, in, is, there, is there places where God has some type of pain happen in order that some type of good might come about? Well, how about the cross? There's one. Right. Um, so th these categories are, are very important to understand, and you just want to let the Bible speak on its own. Yeah terms without our and, baggage. And we're very used to really precise language because English is a really precise language with tons yeah. and tons of words. It's got words for everything. Hebrew has words that are flexible. Like the, the Hebrew word for bad or evil mm -hmm. can mean evil in the moral sense. It can mean bad like I made a bad decision. Like I got four burritos at Taco Bell, should have got two, I'm going to feel bad after. Yeah. Um, that might also be evil, so maybe that's a poor example. But uh, in any case, all that to say, you know, we're, we're trying to let the Bible speak here. Now, Lauren Carmichael has a really interesting question. Um, she says, what you can pull that, you can actually pop that question on screen for everybody to see, Kev. She says, what powers or functions did other gods have and why would people serve them over Yahweh God? Why, why, what drew the Israelites to these gods? Go ahead. I got a really weird story to answer with, but I want to hear what you have to say first. Okay. I'm going to try to do this really quick, but it's something that I could talk for hours on. Um, so remember how I started off? I said, we as modern people just think, says, have no other gods before me. That means things like money, power, uh, popularity or something like that. And we, we immediately modernize it. We do right. away with the spiritual side and just make things. Now, why would you mo worship these false deities? In my opinion, there's in the spiritual realm, these beings also pull you around those objects. So if you worship money, there might, it's, there might be a spiritual reality behind that. So it's not, it's, it's, it's where the modern understanding meets the ancient understanding. Right. The, the ancient understanding may be, Hey, I, 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 I like money and there's, there's, there's no connection to this over here. Right. And the modern person says, Hey, there's just nothing spiritual about, about this. But those, those things that we are pulled into, in my opinion, have a spiritual reality and dimension to them going on behind them. There's an energy there. Um, so likewise, the ancient person was just a little bit more honest where if they wanted power, there was a God associated with power and you went and made your sacrifice to right. it. Now in the modern world, you want power and you don't go down to the temple to sacrifice a chicken, but you sacrifice your children 
because you're not the father that they need in order to gain power. Right. And what I am saying is that the, the, the sacrifice of the chicken and the children are more connected spiritually right. than our modern categories would allow. Yeah, and, and in the ancient world, there was kind of this direct relationship between the amount that the God was purported to be able to deliver to you and the seriousness of the sacrifice. So gods like Molech are these incredibly powerful gods who can supposedly do a lot for you, but their demands are high. Molech's the god who you have to literally sacrifice your children in the fire before him. And so the question, like your kind of, you know, technical question, Lauren, is what powers did they have? And I don't feel comfortable or like they're not, I don't feel comfortable. I don't know. It's not clear how much they could actually do of what, you know, what was expected of them. But I am comfortable saying, that I don't think they were powerless in terms okay. of how they could yeah. affect and the this, world. And there's a there's a section I think we we're going to cover later that maybe we could bridge this. Yeah, and let's this, do it this now. This is where it gets it gets really weird. So this is the I'll weird pre- story pref- I was talking about. I'll preface about. it with this: um, when the Israelites left Egypt and they went into the desert, they immediately made an idol. They they, they made the bull idol. Now, one of the things, and, and we just talked about how in Deuteronomy it talks about how um, they're worshiping these spirits, these shades type thing. Okay. You go into the desert, and that is seen as a place where there's evil spirits. Why, why did the ancient mind think there's evil spirits there? Well, it's barren, and it's desolate. There's no life, so this is not a good place to be. So how are we to be protected? How are we to be safe? Moses has left us. Right. Who's going to save us We now? need some kind of a figure. And so the reason why people would be tempted into worshiping these things is fear. You're alone in the desert, or... Your, your wife hasn't conceived and you've been married and you, you're afraid that you won't ever have children. Well, there's a God or goddess that represents fertility that you go to. So you're doing these yeah, things. Or it hasn't rained in three months and I'm not going to survive if yeah. I don't get my crops watered. And what happens is, is people go, well, we're, we're modern people. We know that's not the way the world operates anymore. No, we still make sacrifices to arbitrary fake deities all the time. And what I would argue, though, is that there's a spirit behind those right. those realities oftentimes. Now, to the question. What can they do? It's, it's, so there's a question that comes up in the book of Exodus where, um, and this is in the movie, uh, The Ten Commandments, um, but Aaron throws the rod down and it turns to a, to a snake. Right. And back in the day, it's like the, the, the special effects were like, oh my gosh, type of thing. But then there's this idea that, the Pharaoh's magicians can throw down and make a, a rod turn into a snake too. Now you could say, well, magicians do that stuff today. So Pharaoh's magicians, they turned, they turned a rod into a snake by using cheap magician tricks, just like someone would do today. Or you could say they have consulted with evil spiritual beings their whole entire life. And those beings have granted them some type of power in some sense. Um, now, again, if you're a modern person, you're a materialist, you just go the magician route immediately, yeah. magician route. It's too weird to say that they could grant them powers. But there's verses in the Bible like this one that go, what? dude. Yeah. So perfect setup. So there's this story that I always thought was really weird. And then I read it after kind of reconsidering all the stuff we're talking about tonight a few years ago and was like, Oh my gosh, this story is even weirder than I thought. Again, we won't read it because it's super long, but I'll summarize it for you and you can read it on your own um, if you're interested. It's in 2 Kings chapter 3. There's this war happening, and I believe it's between a coalition of Israel and, oh man, Ammon, I don't know, another nation. But they're battling against Moab, which is one of their enemies during this time in Israel's history. And they're doing really well. They've kind of beaten back the Moabites all the way back to kind of the main base of the Moabites. And they're winning. There's no question. Military might's on their side. They're going to win. The king of Moab in this story, this is in the Bible, his last ditch move that he makes is he takes his son, who is his heir, Meaning this is the guy who, this is his own son, but even more significantly than that in the eyes of these ancient peoples, this is the next king. Mm -hmm. And he goes up on the wall in front of the battle and sacrifices his son to his God, who is a God named Chemosh. And what the Bible actually says here, just so that I'm not putting words in its mouth, let's let's actually go there. 2 Kings 3, 27. 
When the king of Moab saw that the battle was going against him, he took with him 700 swordsmen to break through opposite the king of Edom. That's the other nation. But they could not. Then he took his oldest son, who was to reign in his place, and offered him for a burnt offering on the wall. Now watch this. And there came great wrath against Israel, and they, meaning Israel, withdrew from him and returned to their own land. And the story ends, and there is no editorial comment on that. Now you can read commentaries. All of them will say, it's not clear what's happening here. Maybe it's, you know, human wrath, because the Moabites got really fired up when they saw what their king was willing to sacrifice. But to be perfectly frank and no disrespect to all the commentators who said that, that is so not how it reads. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just not, in my opinion, how the Old Testament authors yeah. would have framed that if that's yeah. what happened. It's certainly possible for multiple explanations, but right. it certainly sounds like he sacrificed to some great spiritual being and that had some effect on the battle. Yeah. And so you do with that what you will. Um, but to answer Lauren's question, I think if you read scripture and you're not, you're not editing it in your brain to take out the possibility of other powerful spiritual beings existing, mm-hmm. you will find over and over again evidence that these are real beings who can have an impact on the world in some yeah. sense. Even the fact that of Egypt's great success internationally, yeah. after all of their focused worship of all of these gods, and like you said, the fact that God wants to go and execute judgment on the gods of Egypt in some yeah. sense to prove himself better than them. Yeah. Um, definitely it, there's, there's some indication here that again, there's a, there are spiritual beings of various types and levels of power and jobs and responsibilities, etc. Um, and some of them like this one are rebellious against God and his people and have some ability yeah. to impact. Now the to world. be clear too, and this is, this is why the Bible is forbids this stuff so much. I think the Bible would forbid it no matter what, like don't consult mediums, right? Don't, don't walk through the fire like the pagan nations do. It would condemn that stuff either way because it's, it's a false type of worship. But the, the, the language is always like, dude, don't even touch that. Don't even mess with it. Don't even cross that line. And so in my opinion, there are things that you could do that, um, reach out in a very evil way. And God is saying, don't do it because it's wrong, but also don't open that box. Don't mess with this. Don't mess with it. Yeah. Because these are real spiritual beings in rebellion to God. Super interesting. Now we're going to next, we have a, one more thing, one more kind of set of ideas we're going to look at before we close, but just for next week, what we're going to do is look at a little more specifically at kind of what might've happened with some of these beings, according to what the Bible says in places like Genesis six and specifically who and what is the Satan um, yep. and what's he up to? And uh, again, I would say, not not just to give a little teaser, but um, if you kind of grew up with a very conventional, received evangelical idea of what Satan is and what he's like, mm-hmm. I think what the Bible actually says about him is really surprising. Um, yeah, and let me, let me say this about the spiritual beings is oftentimes people, and it's similar to Lauren's question, is like, well, how are they tempting me personally? And the Bible doesn't, it doesn't talk a lot about what they can and can't do. It doesn't talk a lot about what they can do to you personally. It tells you what you should do as a believer. So it's like, put on spiritual armor of God. It's it's not like, okay, this is what the demon's going to do to you if you right. don't put on the spiritual armor of God. There's very few. There's some like, don't let the anger go down. Let's say takes advantage. Like there's, there's some stuff, but not a lot. And so what I think is, the spiritual beings are up to in in the larger sense is deceiving the nations. Right. And on Um, a large scale, not trying to whisper in my ear to get me to tell a lie. Like you'll do that all on your own. You're wicked. James (laughs) says that don't blame it on the devil. Your own human flesh is wicked and evil. So it's not necessarily, how does this, how's the devil trying to get me to sit in this small type of way? Um, That's because we've inherited such like a behavioralist version of, of the gospels. Like I got to, but, but it's, it's a deceiving of the nations on the grand scale. And that's why in Corinthians it talks about, you know, we are to take captive any argument that would raise yeah. itself up against. And it's talking, these, it's talking about truth and the gospel being categories of spiritual warfare. And so, you know, to, to kind of make this incredibly relevant for today is just when, when there's chaos, when there's people looking for truth and answers that's spiritual war the goal is to destroy the god is mad at the spiritual beings because they're 
making human beings' lives miserable in the Psalms passage. And it's like the Christian is to speak gospel truth and to put on the armor of God and be a truth teller and specifically the truth of the gospel. And that is engaging in spiritual warfare with the spiritual beings. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Super helpful. And we'll dive more into that on the last week. Um, So, okay. Just to kind of wrap up here, because I think we've been clear already, but just to be completely clear, I don't want anyone leaving this thinking, A, okay, now i got to be all obsessed about all these spiritual beings, or B, Sam believes in multiple gods. Yeah, Sam and Isaac are polytheists. That's That's the last thing we want. Because the Bible, as Isaac said earlier, especially in the prophets, is full of passages saying, hey, listen, there's only one God. Um, I'll just run down a few of them right here. Um, I'll just read them. Just to make it clear so we're not, so you know we're not crazy. Yeah, just you guys got to know. Isaiah 44, 6. Thus says the Lord, King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. By the way, the hosts, the Lord of hosts, Lord of armies, talking about spiritual armies there. He says, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no Elohim. Um, Isaiah 43, 10. Or uh, let's do 11. Before me, no Elohim was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and beside me, there is no Savior. Now, just Isaiah alone probably has dozens of verses like yeah. that. It's a big thing in these major prophets to, to have all of these polemical statements against other gods. There is no God besides me. Um, Ezekiel's full of them as well. We could look at tons and tons and tons. Um, a couple other interesting kind of examples. Um, Nehemiah 9.6. This is now where Nehemiah, who's not a prophet, but he says, you are the Lord, you alone. And this is, I think, kind of core to the idea of what we actually believe here. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and preserve all of them. So you see that kind of two domains there. And the host of heaven worships you. Now, um, one more, and then we'll talk about it. Psalm 86, eight says, there is none like you among the Elohim, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. So the reason I put, there's a bunch of verses like all of those that we could just look at verse after verse after verse, but I put those together because I think it encapsulates the point that the Bible's making about God, Mm -hmm. that when it says there's no God besides me, it's not saying there's no other spiritual being besides yeah. him. It's saying I am, even among the category of spiritual beings, I am in a category all my own. Yeah. And that's exactly what we believe, which is that there is a spirit world populated with spiritual beings, cherubim, seraphim, angels, demons, etc. Yeah, wait till we get to, the, to some of them little fiery... S- yeah, we're going to talk about flying snakes next week yeah. and talking snakes next week. But among them, there is only one creator God, mm-hmm. meaning they didn't all pre-exist creation. They're not all sitting around going, hey, you know what we ought to do? Let's, let's make some creation. There is one God and creator who created everything in the heavens and on the earth, meaning all of these other spiritual yes. beings owe their existence to him. There's this one, what Aristotle would have called uncaused cause. Uh-huh. Um, that's not Aristotle. Help me out here. Aslan of Narnia. Aslan of Narnia. C.S. Lewis said it. <laughs> so again, among the Elohim, again, the, we've, we've said over and over, the category of what God is is a spiritual being, and there are other spiritual yeah. beings. But among them, he is utterly unique and is the only ultimate creator God at the absolute top of the pyramid. There are human beings and spiritual beings. And ultimately, Jesus Christ is the ultimate human being and the ultimate spiritual being. Hey, that'll preach. That's pretty yeah. good. <laughs> There's a sermon. You can have that one, Kevin. Kevin, Kevin bringing that soon to a that's church a, service a free near you. Thank you. So again, hopefully that's, hopefully that's clear and helpful. Um, we're kind of setting the stage for the next couple of weeks where we're going to talk about what, so, you know, to the best that we can tell, because again, the reason we don't want to obsess over this is because the Bible doesn't obsess over it. There's not a whole lot about this. this the Bible is the story of God and humanity. Yeah. Um, and these but, people, but again, it's important to note that where it does talk about it, it talks about like the nat- like wickedness and confusion coming in. So the modern person needs to know that the Bible has categories of spiritual beings causing harm in the material right. world. Um, so there's more at play in our world than just what you see with your eyes. Absolutely. My, my prof, uh, professor for 
um, that I've had for quite some time is Dr. Leonard Sweet. He has a line where he says, the, the trees don't move the wind. The wind moves the trees. Mm. Um, and the modern person kind of just flips it around. And his point is he's relating wind to the spiritual realm and the tree to the physical realm. And although wind is physical, the, 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 you get the metaphor is that there are things that are unseen that are actually moving things in the physical realm. To what degree? Hard to say. How often? Hard to say. But the Christian needs to be aware that you're never just fighting a physical battle. Right. And I will say this. The reason why that is ex- 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 incredibly important today is whenever you look at another human being, you do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You wrestle against powers and principalities and spiritual beings in the spiritual realm. And it'll be very easy to vilify another human being when you don't understand that there are spiritual forces at work. Um, And you have to remember Paul's words, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. There's other things at play. Yeah. In a sense, you as a Christian are a rescued POW. And there's other people there too. Right. Amen. So we'll, we'll spend the rest of this short series kind of unpacking what the Bible says about what these beings are up to. Next week specifically, we'll be talking about the Satan. So come with your questions and we'll see you then. See you later.